So I have a confession to make. I have, it's a confession. You know, I tell you what, you got to watch social media. Because as of late, um, I spent a little time on social media. And, uh, you know, they have these things called rabbit holes. You know what I'm talking about? You watch one video, and it leads to another video, and it leads to another video. And it's just like, I just gave away like 22 minutes of my life that I'm never, ever going to give back. And so recently, and I told my wife about it, she's just been kind of cracking up. We've been married 28 years, and she's never seen it. And, and uh, So uh, I don't know exactly why, but I've been looped into these basketball clips. They're little clips of basketball, like two-minute basketball clips. And it started out with a guy, his name, they call him the professor. And his last name is great. Some of you know who I'm talking about. He's a basketball player. If, you play, if you've ever played ball before, the guy has amazing ball handling skills. And I'm, and I'm watching the professor. And it, you know, you get in the, the rabbit hole and it leads to the next video, which was uh, a lot of Michael Jordan videos. So, okay, so here's a story. As, as a child, you, you may not know this, but I loved basketball as a child. In the winter growing up in Michigan, I would take our driveway, and I had, I had the coolest driveway. That driveway was almost like a full court basketball court, I thought. You know, it was like, I don't know how long and how wide, and... Uh, I went back and visited in Michigan, and I looked at that court that as a child, everybody in the neighborhood wanted to play at my basketball court because it was just, it was full length. And then I came back, you know, like 25 years later to my basketball court, and my basketball court was like this big. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? When you're a kid, everything's so much. That home that was so big, I came back, and it's just that little tiny Cracker Jack box house. And, but so I grew up in the wintertime, I'd go out there and I'd shovel off the basketball court and get the snow off there and I'd shoot hoops and I'd watch college basketball and I was a big basketball nerd. And um, even, uh, I grew up playing basketball, I, I had an opportunity to go to uh, Michigan State and there was a basketball camp there and during the summer. So I was really, basketball was, believe it or not, really my thing. And some of that, I grew up in Detroit, in case you didn't know that. And uh, the Detroit, back in the 80s, had just a, uh, an incredible basketball team called the Detroit Pistons. And uh, they were called the Bad Boys, Detroit, you know. Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambeer, Dennis Rodman. That's when Rodman played for Detroit and not for Chicago. Joe Dumars. So it started with this professor, and then all of a sudden it starts rolling into these, these Michael Jordan clips. And I don't know why. And my wife was like, what are you watching like Michael Jordan clips for? Like, I don't know why. You know, him doing that flying windmill dunk, just like that. That's how he looked, just like that. <laughs> and he'd go flying, and, and he'd dunk it, and, and you know, just, and I, I don't know. I guess probably, maybe, maybe I've figured it out that I like to see excellence in action. Maybe that's, so pray for me. <laughs> um. That tongue sticking out, fluid, dynamic, all the skills, his ball handling skills and all that, the dedication, the passion, the guts, the gusto, the drive, the excellence. And uh, Michael Jordan probably is arguably the greatest basketball player who has ever lived, ever, period. Probably. Okay, Larry Bird's okay, but I'm sorry. Okay, so here's my point. We are in church here today. There's a point to all this. So arguably... He is arguably, Paul, the greatest basketball player that has ever lived, the greatest of all time. And so I saw it would come up in, in the feed, there'd be a little picture of a goat, and it would say goat. And I'm like, goat? 
What does GOAT mean? That's weird. And I discovered that GOAT is an acronym. And the acronym for GOAT is greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. And so people say Michael Jordan is, is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time, at least in basketball. So the greatest, the greatest, the pinnacle, what does that mean? In a category of its own, number one, top of the list, premium, the big kahuna, the best of the best, the one, the goat, the greatest of all time. And you could go through just about any category of the world and life and say, what's the greatest painting of all time? What is the greatest musical piece of all time? What is, you know, the greatest athlete, the greatest fighter? And so... That's what I want to preach about this morning. I want to preach about the greatest of all time, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. So to the Christian, I want you to think about this a little bit with me this morning. To the child of God, what is the greatest? Don't answer that because I want you to think about it. What is the greatest of all time? What should be top of your list? If there was a principle of life, a principle of life, that is the greatest of all time. If there was a rule of life that all of us could live by that is the greatest of all time, the one quality that will produce longevity. I've been thinking as of late, as a child of God, like what is, if, if we could boil down living for God, if we could boil down serving the Lord, if you could put it all into a Bunsen burner and, you know, just liquidate it down to one single primary principle, what is the greatest? If, if you could focus on one thing in life, what would ensure and guarantee your spiritual victory in life? If there was a greatest, if there is one thing, because I don't want to be confused by a myriad of opportunities and a thousand different things, but... If there was one thing that was the greatest of all time, what is that one thing that would give me the quality of staying power? Because I've seen a lot of people experience miracles in their life. I've seen a lot of people come to God. I've mentioned it before. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people baptized in Jesus' name. And the truth is, if everybody that had been baptized in Jesus' name, born again of the water and the Spirit, was here this morning we would all be standing packed in this place like sardines all the way out into the parking lot. But that's not the case because somehow or another they lost their direction in life. So what is the greatest? What is the one thing? What is, what is the one thing? Who are the people that don't backslide? Who are the people who stay on fire for God 50 years later and walking, walking with God? What is the one single principle of life? What is the Hall of Fame trait? What, is, what does God say is the greatest of all time? I mean, I don't know that I'd really go there, but we're talking about a principle. I'm not even talking about a person here today. I'm talking about a principle. I mean, God's greatest hit, top of the list, the linchpin, the major league, Titanic, towering above all else. Okay, do you know that Jesus was asked that question. How many love Jesus? Jesus was asked the question. The greatest question that could ever be asked and one of the greatest answers that we could ever receive, receive from none else than the lips of our loving Savior when he, when he was asked in Mark 12 and 28. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment? Other gospel writers say, what is the great commandment? What is the first commandment of all? What is the greatest? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, 
You want to know what the greatest commandment is? Here it is. Here is the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. You can't give a oneness preacher a text like that and not him not feel the Holy Ghost. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And Jesus quotes what is referred to in the Bible. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write down Deuteronomy 6 and 4, what is referred to as the Shema. It was the kernel of the Old Testament law. It was, it was one of the greatest statements that was ever made that literally the Jewish people have, have built their lives and their culture and their longevity built on one single principle, that there's only one God. It is not semantics that we as the Christian church make a big deal about the oneness of God. It is, it, is, it is not something that is unimportant because literally it is the greatest principle of all time that there is one God. It is the greatest commandment. It ought to be the, the first commandment that we teach our children. I've told you before, little, little Caleb, when he was a little boy sitting there in his, in his high chair with food all over his face, and I got it on video. I say, Caleb, what's the greatest commandment? He say. One God, his fat little pudgy little finger, one God, one God. Because if there's one thing that we ought to get right, one thing we better know, there's not a hundred deities, there's not a thousand gods, there's not ten gods, Buddha is not God, Krishna is not God, there's not a multiplicity of deities, there's not multiple personalities of one God. Come on, church. There's only one God. One God. So what's the great commandment? He said, well, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We can build our lives on that principle. There's only one God. Don't be confused. There's not a multitude of gods. You don't have to worry and wonder, I don't, you know, who do I worship? There's only one single God. And in response to that, he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Praise God. The greatest commandment. The oneness of God. The greatest, listen, the greatest duty of all mankind. The revelation that there is only one God is followed by the greatest duty of all mankind. And do you know what the greatest duty of all mankind is? If there's only one God, the greatest duty that all of us have in this life is to love that one God. Oh, hallelujah. To love that. If, if the greatest truth in the world is there's only one God, and we're going to guard that truth in our personal lives. We're going to guard that truth as a church. There's only one God. But the greatest duty to the greatest revelation of there only being one God, the greatest duty to that revelation is if there's only one God, the greatest duty of all mankind is that I would love that one true and living God. That's the great, that's the greatest. If you want to know what the greatest is, it is to love God. Oh, hallelujah. Can you put your hands together and magnify the Lord this morning? Jesus, we love you today. Hallelujah. We love you today, great God. Amen. Of course, we know that the Bible is filled with all kinds of commandments. I literally have printed here in my hands. In my hands, I have, do you realize there are 613 Old Testament commandments? I have them all printed out right here. 
There are 248 positive commands, and there are 365 negative commands. There are 248 commands that say, you better do this. And there are 365 negative commandments that say, you better not do this. And in case you're wondering, I can print this out for you, and you can have it after church. Right? That is 613 Old Testament commandments. I hear people say, well, you know, when you come to Jesus, you get delivered from the law. There is no law. Do you realize that in the New Testament, there are 1,050 New Testament commands? There are more New Testament commands than there are Old Testament commands. Did you know that? Seven things to avoid. Troublemakers, profane and vain babblings, false science, unlearned questions, foolish Seven abstains. Abstain from idols, abstain from fornication, strangle meats, eating blood, meat offered to idols, all appearance of evil, fleshly lust. Three, ask. Ask and you shall receive. Ask, no return of goods. Ask life for backsliders. Seventy-four Bs. Be exceeding glad. Be reconciled to your brother. Be perfected. On and on and on. Over a thousand New Testament commandments. You know what that means? That if you add all of the Old Testament commandments with the New Testament commandments, you have 1,663 total commandments. That's a lot of commandments. And I want you to know, contrary to what the world says, God's word still matters. And God still has direction for our lives. And he still has things that he doesn't want us to do. And he has things that he wants us to do. There are still a six to over 1,600 commandments in all of this Bible. Oh, man, I feel like preaching here this morning. But can I tell you that rising superior to every one of those 1,600 commandments is one great commandment. As a matter of fact, let me say it like this, that if you get the one great commandment right, all of the other commandments will naturally and easily fall into place. If you get the one commandment right, then you're going to get everything else right. If you get the first commandment right, you don't have to worry about fornicating and shooting people and being greedy and, and all this junk in life. If you get the one commandment in life right, then all the other commandments are going to easily and naturally follow after that one commandment. And if you don't get the goat, the greatest of all commandments right, then all the other ones you're never going to fulfill anyway. I want to simplify. I want to boil everything down today. That the greatest thing, that if we can get it in our heart and in our life, the great commandment, that all the other commandments are going to come very naturally. And the greatest, rising above all the other 1,600 commandments is love God. Love God. Love God. Love God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love God. And all the other 1,600 commandments, it's just going to come back. Because the greatest of all commandments is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment ever given is love God. Now we're going to participate in this message here this morning. I want you to look to a couple people around you and say, love God. That's what he wants you to do. Love God. Jesus, help me today. Help us today. Amen. Love God. Go ahead and tell somebody, love God. Love God. Just love God. Just love God. Beginning. That's the beginning of it all. And if you get that right, you'll get everything else right. If you don't get that right, you're not going to get anything else right. Love God. Love God. It's, it's the greatest of all commandments. 
Love God. Love God. And I realize some of you, you're like, okay, Reverend. Now that's a pretty big ask. You're asking me to, uh, you know, to love God. Are you saying that God wants me to love him more than anything else? Man, that's a pretty big ask you're asking here today. You're asking. You're, you're saying that God wants me to love him. Are you ready? Guess what? Jesus led the way. See, okay, I'll explain it. God says, tell you what, I'll become a man. God says, I'll tell you what, I'll manifest myself in the flesh. I'll come to the world and I'll be the greatest man who ever lived. And he was. We thank God for Jesus. The God-man. The greatest human that ever lived. He was the greatest Jesus, the greatest human that ever lived, is the greatest God in human form that has ever been. He was better than the best. He was. You talk about goat. Now, I mean, I know we talked about Michael Jordan a little bit, but, but Jesus was the greatest. He's the greatest, the greatest of all. But listen up. The greatest did the greatest. What's the mo- probably the most quoted scripture to Christians? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we know the son was the invisible God of the Old Testament incarnate in a human body form in the New Testament. For God so loved, God so loved. God said, I'll tell you what. I'm not just telling you that I want you to love me. God said, I'm going to tell you what. I am going to show my love to you. And if you've got the stomach to really look at it and think about it, let's take a visit to that old rugged hill called Mount Golgotha. Let's take a trip to Mount Calvary. Let's take a trip if we can, if we can, if our eyes can even handle a few moments of watching the greatest man that ever lived doing the greatest deed that's ever been done. Amen. For the greatest motive that's ever been known. Hanging on a cross on the rugged hill of Mount Golgotha. Hanging on Calvary's tree. Enduring the beating of a lifetime as the blood comes out of his body. Enduring that beating. And Calvary screams through the ages, I love you. 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 God said, I'll tell you what, I'll show you how much I love you. I'll give my life for you, and you don't even deserve it. I'll endure the terrible, excruciating pain of the cross. I'll despise the shame. I'll hate every moment of it. That godly, holy priest hanging upon the tree. And he's doing all of that because he wants the world through the ages to know, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I can tell you this as a 15-year-old non-church kid that was not raised in, in this way, coming into a, into a Pentecostal church. And I've shared the story, and I won't reiterate the whole story, but January the 11th, 1987, when, when Jesus got a hold of my heart and he changed my life, I will tell you this, that after weeping under the presence of God 
the presence of the Lord there, and you know, looking up, and there are all, all of the family of God there. They're doing the holy huddle, and they, they ganged up on you in prayer. And after looking up with the tears streaming down my face, and I look at the youth pastor, and the youth pastor says, would you like to be baptized? I say, yes. They take me back to the tank. I'm water baptized, and I come out of that tank, my life in a moment, completely transformed and changed. You say, Pastor, if you were to describe what was it that you sensed on that day? What was it that, that lured you in? What was it that made the difference in your life? I could say the Holy Ghost because it was the Holy Ghost. But I want, I want to be more particular and specific than that. There was one overwhelming sensation that I had in the presence of God when the Lord arrested my heart and my life and changed me on that day. The one overwhelming sense that I had in my heart was the love of God. The reason I'm here today is that he manifested that love in my life. I believe if Jesus were standing here today, I believe he would say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Something that he would want you to know, and you ought to be able to say it's as simple as the Sunday school children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know. When you wake up in the morning with a warm sunset, I believe he's saying, I love you. When the warm tears run down your face when you don't know what to do, I believe he's saying, I love you. When God's word confirms direction into your heart, into your life, and helps you and speaks into your spirit, it's God's way of saying, I love you. When his spirit comes in like a flood and washes over you and says, everything is going to be all right, it's God's way of saying, I love you. When you wake up in the morning and the sun sets and the last thoughts as you lay your head on your pillow is, He's confirming, I love you. 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 I think he's saying it over and over and over and over again. I love you. What makes you say that? Romans chapter 5 and verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Some people would maybe give their life to somebody that's good, but... God is so good, the Bible tells us, Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. Notice, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Need I remind all of us here on this Sunday morning that God loved you when you had nothing to offer. God loved you when you were busted up, when you were broken, when you were a wreck, and you had nothing to offer this world but misery, tears, and sorrow. That God loved you when you were a nobody that was going to hell. God loved you when you had nothing really to offer him. He loved you when you were a nobody. When I was a sinner, sinning doing the wrong thing. God's so good that he commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Come on, fornicating, drinking, smoking, doping, hurting yourself and hurting others, stealing, messing up your life. And yet in the middle of all of that, there was a manifestation of the love of God that came to you when you had nothing to offer. And love lifted me. Amazing, he does hate the sin. There's no question about it. Let's not underplay it. He hates sin, but amazingly, he still does love the sinner. He reaches for the sinner when the sinner has so little to offer him. Every once in a while, I think our jaw ought to hit the ground. We ought to just go, wow. 
I don't feel like worshiping today. No matter what, I, we ought to just, with our head, wow, I shouldn't even be here today. But you know what? God's been good to me. Amen. Watch 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10. You want to know what love is? It tells us, herein is love, comma. Notice, not that we loved God. Herein is love, not that we love God. You didn't get saved because you love God. Truth is, he reached for me when I didn't love God. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. All right, I'll say it this way. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Ah, uh, you're not getting it, I can tell. You know what that, because he first loved us. I didn't love God, and then God's like, okay, they love me. I'm coming down to where they're at. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. It says that he loved us first. He first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. He, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm trying to justify the fact why he can demand that you love him. That's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to justify the fact why he can command that we love him because he was the initiative taker. He was the one that said, I'm going to love you when you don't love me. Okay, let me break it down like this. Let's make it a little more simple. It's kind of like the dating relationship. Come on, guys. We're macho men, right? We got single guys running. We're tough. Hey, baby. You and me. You and me, baby. Why don't we go out on a date? It's the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> I'm talking about right no guys are like hey they're all confident they got a veneer of you know invincibility but inside they're like man what's she gonna say she's obviously in a category that I'm not in or I wouldn't be asking her come on guy right you all if you're married married above yourself uh-huh uh-huh, I found you. Because men are trophy hunters. Huh? Hey, baby. Me and you. Let's go to Culver's. <laughs> I'll buy you a concrete mixer. I'll have ten babies. It'll be great. <laughs> right? The whole time, though, you're like, man, what's she going to say? Man, I'm going to look so, oh, I feel like an idiot. I am so stupid. I'm trying to sound this, but man, I said it the stupid way, right? Because it takes a lot of courage to initiate. You're like in your head, in your head, it's like, she's going to look at me and say, you dumb, ugly fool. I wouldn't go out with you if you're the last human being on planet Earth. Your head's saying that, you're like, I'm going to be so crazy. What are you saying? But it takes, it takes courage to be the initiative taker, Right? What are you saying? I'm saying Jesus was the initiative taker. Jesus demonstrated his love to us and for us. Jesus said, I'll love you first. Jesus said, before you even love me, I'll love you. Even if you're undeserving, Jesus says, I'll love you. God says, I'll tell you what, I'll love you. I'll love you, I'll love you. 
And then he says, but at the same time, listen up, church, talking about the greatest, but he's going to say at the same time, but I want you to love me. It's not too much for the Lord to ask for us to love him because he's loved us so much. It's not, a, it's, not all, it's not an overwhelming commandment that we're incapable of because God said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to show you that I love you. I'm going to show you that I love you. I sh- I'm going to show you that I love you. And then all I'm asking out of your life is that you would love me back. Come on, love me back. Don't leave me hanging here. Love me back. Love me with all your life. Live for me. Serve me. I'll give you the best life you could ever have. But all I want you to do at the end of the day, I want you to love me. I want you to love me back. I don't, I, I don't want to play second fiddle. Amen. I don't want you to have a bunch of girlfriends on the side. I don't want you to have other idols and other gods in your life. God says, I'll tell you what. I want, I want, I want to be your one and only God. I want to be your one and only love. And there's one thing I'm asking out of you. The one greatest commandment. And if you can get this one right, everything else is going to flow naturally out of that. Love me, God says. Love the Lord with all that you have. The greatest commandment. Jesus, help us. Loving God is our ultimate responsibility. The greatest responsibility of your life and mine is to love God. Matthew 22 and 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. He said, This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I wish I had, I did it before many, many years ago. I had a big uh, coat hanger rack, right? And the Bible says that everything hangs in the Old Testament. Remember all these commandments? 1,600, let's say 613 in the Old Testament. And add the law and the prophets, add the prophets to that. All the prophetic utterances of the Old Testament, they all They hang upon those commandments. Love God and love people. And he said, if you get that right, you know what? Everything else is going to figure itself out. It's going to work out. Sometimes we get frustrated with people when people are sinning and messing up, right? We get frustrated if they're not living the way that they need to live. We say, well, you need to stop doing that. You should start doing that. And that's all true, amen? It is true. You shouldn't do this and you should do this. But I tell you what I figured out a long time ago. If people are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing or they're not doing the things they should be doing, what they really got in their life is a love problem. Because if you get your love for God right, if you get to love in God the way that, that he wants to be loved, and you say, okay, Lord, you're going to be number numero uno in my life. You're going to be the God that I love, that all that I have. Then guess what? All those other commandments, they hang They hang upon those two commandments. The greatest of all time is love God. If you love God, those other things will just fall into natural alignment. If you get this loving God stuff right, there isn't a rule of God that will give you trouble. If you get this this loving God stuff right, you will live the rules and it won't be a problem. But if you don't get that right, and you're going to get hung up on all the other rules. Matter of fact, I would say if you're living in disobedience to God, what you really need to do is get back to your love for God. Love is a command from God. It's amazing. It's a commandment. 
it is the most important commandment. He loves us, and he wants us to love him back solely. That's no spiritual girlfriends on the side. That's no other gods that we are secretly eyeing. Listen, God's not stupid. That's a pretty ignorant statement to make, but very obvious statement. God's not some helpless, hopeless, weak, sniveling, codependent deity. Oh, please, please, please serve me. Please love me. I'm like a heart, heart sick lover and I can't help myself. I'm codependent on you. Listen, God needs you like he needs cancer. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Let God be true and every man a liar. Every, if, if 7 billion people on the planet are all liars, God's still going to be God. And, and he's still going to be everything that he is. He doesn't need me. Oh, please, please, please. Let's not reduce Calvary to that. But I tell you what, he does want us. That's powerful. He's not some sick codependent lover that can't help himself. I'll just accept anything. I'll just go ahead. And be like, be like a husband says, hey, honey, you mind if I have like four girlfriends? I mean, you mind? It's a big deal. Of course he's going to mind. You think God's any, he's a jealous God. God doesn't want to share us with anybody else. But he says, I'll tell you what, I'll love you. I'll love you with all that I have. And all that I'm asking out of you is for you to love me back with all that you have. And then everything else comes into alignment. All right. So how do I express my love for God? <laughs> how, do I, how do I express my love for God? Let's break it down here. What, what did Jesus say? He said, he said, to begin with, with all your heart. Love God with all of your heart. I'm so thankful the Lord does that. He says, I want to get, get on the inside of your life. The core, the emotional attachment center of our life, our affection. I am so thankful that the Lord leads the list with this first component, and that is love God with your heart. Love God with all of your heart, that interior part of your life. Love God with everything from the center of your heart because love cannot flow freely through a constipated heart. heart that is full of all kinds of other things. That's why God says, I want, I want you to love me with your heart. With your heart. Romans 5 and 5 says it like this, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our where? In our hearts. The love of God is dispersed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you what the Holy Ghost does. Thank God for His Spirit. His Spirit. But what His Spirit brings is a dispensary of love. The Holy Ghost comes and fills that heart of ours. The Holy Ghost brings the love of God into our hearts. That's why you need the Holy Ghost. If you're here this morning and you have not received the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, God wants to give you of his Holy Spirit. He wants to, you, to give you the power to live an overcoming life. He wants to give you everything, and, and, but fundamentally, it is a dispensing of the love of God that comes into what? The container of our heart. He wants us to love him from our heart. 2 Chronicles 16 and 9 says it like this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them. Notice, them whose heart is perfect toward him. 
external compliance is not just what he's looking for. That is a byproduct of having a right heart with God. When my heart is right, that will bring me into compliance in my actions with God. As a matter of fact, he said, my eyes, I'm looking over the whole earth. What are you looking for, God? I'm looking for people that got right hearts with me. And if they got right hearts, God said, that's why the Bible says, he said, he desires truth in the inward part. That's why I can't just come to church and just live for God and just, just, you know, come to church on Sunday and just look the part and act the part. Listen, you know what God wants out of my life? God wants me on Monday through Saturday when the shades are pulled down and the darkness settles in and it's just me, listen, and my conscience and my God and no one else is watching and no one else is looking. He wants me in my heart of hearts to be honest and truth in the inward parts. And I tell you what, when I get that, every Everything else is going to come into alignment. Truth of the matter is, who are you to judge another man's servant? What you think about me in the end really doesn't matter. What we think about one another in the end really doesn't matter. What really matters is, what does God think about me? What does he think about me in my inner integrity? I can fool you. I can look the part. Pastor Appreciation Day, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. But you know what? I could be a hypocrite, and you never even know it. It'll come out someday, and God forbid, and I burn in hell forever. While I preach to others, I lived a hypocritical life, and I go to hell, and all you people go to heaven. And God, God, you know what? Sometimes the Lord will use a dirty bird to feed the prophet. That's why you can't, that's why you can't follow giftings. You follow integrity. You follow character. That, that's what matters. Because somebody can, somebody can play a game and look apart. And in the end, they're, they're not legit. You think God doesn't know that? I'm reaching for somebody here this morning because I believe the Lord's trying to needle something out of a spirit somewhere. And deep in someone's heart. Because listen, what matters is what God thinks about me. I tell you who's going to judge me. The Lord is going to judge me. I tell you, but he's a good God. He's a good God. But he doesn't want me to live fake and fraudulent as a hypocrite. He wants, but it's from my heart. It's because I want to do this. Oh, God, I want to do, I want to live for God. I want to please the Lord in my heart, in the internal part of my life that no one else sees. And if I live for God in the internal part of my life that no one else sees, then guess what? Then he'll bless abundantly externally. If you get the inside right, that's why it's the inside. That's fundamentally why my pastoral approach to people coming and their obedience to God is don't just, don't just live the way you live. Listen, to fit in. It's not going to be enough. I'll tell you what you do, though. You take someone that says, I mean, we, we need some more prayer meetings and we need some more altar services where people spend time on their knees. I think shouting's great. I think lifting our hands is wonderful. But we need times when we just, we just shut everything else out. We shut everything else out, God. Lord, here's my heart, God. It's just me and it's you. It's not the praise team. It's not all the hubbub. It's, not all, it's, it's, it's my heart. It's, it's my God and my heart. And Lord, when it's all said and done, God, I want to love you with all of my heart. My heart is fixed, oh God. If there's anything in me that you find displeased, Lord, work it out. Because I know, Lord, if I can get this loving God stuff right and I can love you from my heart, then, God, it's all going to flow outward from there. 
And if not, I, I can play the part on the outside and show up and just fit in and look and act like everyone else. Uh, and in the end, be, be a castaway if I'm just playing the, the part. But, oh God, if I can get it deep within my heart. That's why he said, love me with all of your heart. So what are the components? He said, your heart. He said, your soul. Your soul. What is your soul? Your soul is the inner person. It's the seat of your decisions and your will. Nafesh in the Old Testament can be translated as life or self. Vine says the basic meanings apparently related to the rare verbal form, nafesh. The noun refers, listen, to the essence of life, the act of breathing, the essence of life, the soul, the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the most basic element of who you are. If we boil you down, listen, when your body is gone and it de de decomposes in the earth, and that's going to happen if the Lord tarries, our body's going to be eaten, it's going to be food for worms, right? The body's going to be gone. But listen, the soul, the soul is never gone. When God breathed into man, <laughs> breath of life man became a living soul a living soul that eternal breath of God the anything that God breathes into is going to live eternally and God put in mankind he put eternity in the soul of man that's why it says the soul that sinneth it shall die he didn't say the body that sins because the body that sins is a byproduct of the soul that isn't right he said the soul that sins it shall die. The soul, the nafesh, the, 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 the essence of who I am. When you boil me down to my lowest common denominator, I'm a soul, and that soul is going to live forever. It's the center of who I am. But the good news is, God said, you can love God with your soul. I'm a soul. Soul. Love God with your heart. He deals with the internal, with your soul. How else do I express my love for God? Notice, 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 notice. He said, your mind. Can I just say this here as we pass by this way? I hope so because i got a mic microphone. I'm going to say it anyway. So, listen, when you, when you come to Pentecostal church, you don't check your brain at the door. You don't check your brain at the door. He said, love God. With all of your mind, the faculty and the exercise of the mind, understanding, imagination, the mind. The mind was meant to be a sanctuary of God. Come on. The mind was not meant to be a trash dump for porn and violence and stupidity. The mind was meant to be a sanctuary for God. Church is not only for feeling people. Churches for thinking people. Come on, high five your neighbor and say, put your brain on. Come on. Put your brain on. Use your brain. We use a brain. We love God with our brain. We love God with our thinking. In fact, can I, can I, can I challenge the church? Come on, we need to challenge ourselves intellectually sometimes. <laughs> it's not, uns you know, it's not either or, it's both and. We can be in the altars and feel the Holy Ghost go, Boo! yeah speak in tongues feel the Holy Ghost pray in the Spirit and we can study theology at the same time they're not mutually exclusive 
We can exercise them because God said, I want your mind. I want you to love me with your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Think on these things. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Thinking our mind. Christian people should think proactively and use our minds for God. Love me with your mind. Read, study, think. Use the mental faculties that God gave you and love God with your mind. Develop your mind. Finally, as I close, he says, love God with your strength. With all your strength. Love God. I'm so thankful, men, that when we come to Jesus, we don't have to be sissies. I feel a wood day coming on. He said your strength, God gave you vitality. He gave you any physical strength that you have. Use that physical strength. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with your might while you live, while you have breath in your body. Say, God, I'm going to give you my strength. Oh, may God help us to love him. With all of our strength, with our power, what God's put in our life. Come on, when you're tired physically, you say, but God, I'm going to give you my best. Loving God with your strength. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Stand together, please. The greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. I love each and every one of you. I love this church. I thank God. I just know this. If we get this right, folks, we'll get everything else right. If this becomes my solitary and singular mission in life, this is what I live for. This is why I'm on the planet. This is why I'm here. I'm here to love God practically with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, and with my strength. If I make that my mission in life, you know, some people, they they say it like this, well, heaven is my goal. Can I tell you what? Heaven doesn't need to be your goal. I mean, I get it. That's where we want to go. If you make your goal loving God, You can't help but go anywhere else than to heaven. Heaven's not our goal. It's our destiny. To those that love God, you can't help but going anywhere else when we love him with all of our heart. What I know is this, is when people struggle spiritually in their lives, and you may be in a little bit of a struggle. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, that If in the middle of your struggle, if you can consolidate your passion to just simply say, Lord, I'm going to love you. I'm going to do what you want me to do because I love you. Then living for God will be a cinch because there is no other alternative. There's no other way. I'm going to love God. I want to encourage us as a church. Let's hit the bullseye. What do you say? What do you say? 
What do you say we hit the bullseye? What do you say we hit the target? What do you say we aim for the primary, the greatest of all time?